God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use, so you will be able to stand up to everything the Devil throws your way. Yes, stand, truth banded around your waist, righteousness as the protective armor that covers your heart, and standing with feet protected and alert, always ready to share the blessings of peace. At all times, carry faith as a shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. And embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance, like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. Finally, take the mighty, razor-sharp spirit sword of the Word of God. So, put on God's armor now, fight to the end, hold your ground, and rise victorious. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, earned quite a reputation for himself. He became known as a deceiver, and that's because he and his mother put together an elaborate ruse to deceive his dad, Isaac. You see, Isaac was old and was getting quite blind and couldn't really see anymore. And uh, Jacob had his eye on his brother's birthright. See, in that culture, the eldest son receives the bulk of the inheritance, the leadership of the clan. And so Jacob dressed up like his brother, wore his brother's clothes. His brother was very hairy, so he put some hair on his arm, some goat hair, and got everything ready and prepared the favorite meal that Esau, his brother, would always prepare for his father, and went in and fooled his dad, deceived his dad into giving him the irrevocable blessing, the birthright. Now, his mother immediately told him, you've got to get out of here. Your brother is going to be so angry when he finds out. And so she sent him north to Haran, modern-day Syria, and said, I want you to stay there with my brother Laban, your uncle. And when everything clears, come back. Well, it would be quite a few years before Esau got over his anger and his desire to have vengeance on his brother. And Jacob went north and found Laban. But not only did he find Laban, he found love. He fell in love with Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel. Now, Laban had two daughters. The oldest was Leah. And the Bible says that she was kind of weak in the eyes and wasn't exactly real attractive. But Rachel, oh my goodness, it says that she was very, very beautiful. And so Jacob said to Laban, I'll tell you what, I'll work for you for the next seven years, if I can have the hand of your daughter, Rachel. Laban said, that's a good deal. That's what we'll do. Now, that's a long time to wait for such a strong love, isn't it? Yet the Bible tells us that for Jacob, he was so in love with Rachel that those seven years felt like just a few days. That's romantic. Well, finally, seven years were over. It was time for the wedding, and what a ceremony it was. What a feast, what a festival. But it wasn't, it wasn't concluded yet. It wasn't official yet. They had to physically consummate the wedding. And so Jacob went into his darkened tent and waited for Rachel, his bride, to come. Meanwhile, I think that uh, Laban and his clan were having a pretty good laugh you say, what, what were they laughing about? 
Well, the next morning when daylight filled Jacob's tent and he turned over to see his beautiful wife, Rachel, he discovered he had married the wrong sister. It was Leah. The deceiver had been deceived by Laban. Angry as you can imagine Jacob would be, Laban said to him, look, it's just not our custom to marry the younger daughter off before the older daughter is married. So we had to do that. And now if you want Rachel, you can have her as well. You say, why are you telling me that story? What's that have to do with our series on spiritual warfare? The reason I told you that story is because we are all surrounded by deceivers and deception. And without the light of the truth, the consequences can be devastating. Read the rest of the life of Jacob and his family and his kids. And oh my goodness, all the wives and concubines that are involved. It is messy. It is ugly. Deception is dangerous. Welcome to our series, Overcoming Evil, The Victory. We're talking about how we can overcome the deception of the devil and all the tricks he tries to play on us to deceive us. We looked at evil for several weeks, and now we're looking at how to have victory over evil. And Paul talks about this victory in terms of an armor that we wear, the armor of God. Last week, we took an overview of the armor of God and described what it is. It is a sold-out commitment to God in every matter without compromise. Now, we're going to take a look at the first piece that Paul talks about. So let's look at our first piece of armor we're going to put on. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Would you read it aloud with me? It's very short. Stand, therefore, having fastened, he says, on the belt of truth. Fasten on this belt of truth. Now, the question is, what does he mean by that? Well, remember the context. Paul is in Rome, and he's under guard. He's probably under house arrest at this point. He has a Roman soldier that's always watching him. In fact, he may have actually been chained, handcuffed to that Roman soldier. Can you imagine being a Roman soldier handcuffed to Paul? Do you think do you think that soldier ever heard the gospel? I'm sure he heard it several times. In fact, I'm sure that many of the Roman guards heard the gospel, and I'm convinced that some even came to faith in Christ. Well, while Paul is there in Rome, he's writing letters to the various churches, like the church at Ephesus. And those letters would then be spread around to other churches as well. And he's trying to find ways to encourage the believers because he knows they're under attack. He knows that the evil one is trying to destroy them. He knows there's heresies all over the place. And so as he's writing to them, and he's, and he's thinking about the evil day that they live in, and he's trying to talk to them about the importance of putting on the armor of God, he looks over at the Roman soldier, and he sees the uniform that he's wearing. He sees the equipment, and it's just, it's, just a natu- it's just a great metaphor that he can use to talk about the spiritual armor of God. So the first piece he begins with is the belt that the Roman soldier would wear. And so we have kind of a replica of that here on our board. And uh, it looks something like this. And the soldier would wear that. Now, this isn't necessarily a weapon, okay? But it is foundational. What I mean by that is the soldier has to have this belt because underneath they wore long tunics like long skirts. You can't go into battle with, you know, a bunch of fabric between your legs and around your thighs. You're going to trip. You're going to, get, you're going to fall. You're going to get caught up in it. You've got to have your weapons, and they're going to get caught in that tunic. And so what they would do is they would, they would lift the tunic up, and they would cinch it 
tight under the belt, freeing up their legs and their thighs so that they could maneuver and fight in the hand-to-hand combat that they were in in those days. So this belt became very important. It gave them a sense of freedom. It also gave them a sense of security. It wasn't a weapon, but it was foundational for the success of that soldier. And so Paul sees that. He looks at it. And uh, while he's looking at that, he thinks to himself, you know, there's a different kind of belt that Christians need to wear. Just like that soldier wraps himself up in that belt, we need to wrap ourselves up in God's truth. We need to secure ourselves. We need to tuck ourselves into the truth of God. Now, if you want to write that out as a principle, I put it up here for you. You can just simply jot down, God's truth is the believer's foundation for freedom and security in this life. You want to live a victorious Christian life, then secure your life, tuck your whole life into the truth of God, His Word. You'll have great security and you'll have great freedom. Now, when we ignore God's truth, when we ignore God's Word, when we decide we're just going to manage life our own way, what happens is we lose that security, we lose that freedom, and life falls apart. Life falls down. Marcia, my wife, and I have uh, lifelong friends. We met them when we first began the ministry back in the early 80s and have stayed in contact with them all these years. We've had some great times with them, and I remember many years ago, we were having this discussion, maybe you've had something like it as well, where each of us was kind of going around sharing our most embarrassing moments. So Marsha, my wife, shared hers, I shared mine, the husband shared his, and then it was his wife's turn. And what she shared, to me at least, is like, is like the epitome of all embarrassing stories. When she was in high school, she was part of the marching band. And the instrument that she played was a bass drum. And just so you have a picture of it, I've, I've put a random picture of it up here. This is not her, okay? But you get, you get kind of the, the picture, right? The drum in front of the chest, the big awkward thing, and then, you know, beating the drum in cadence as you march. Well, they were marching in the local town parade. I think it was like the 4th of July, a small town down Main Street. And as they were marching, all of a sudden, her suspenders broke and the pants she had on were too big. So when the suspenders broke and, uh, and snapped, her pants went down to her ankles. Can you imagine that? All right? You're marching. Now you're trying to march with those pants down by your ankles. Fortunately for her, her brother was in the band behind her playing a different instrument. He saw what happened. He tucked this instrument away. He ran up behind her and pulled her britches up. And that's how they finished the parade, with him holding her pants as she finished out the march. I mean, talk about most embarrassing moment. And what a brother, huh? I bet she's never let her forget that. You know, we can laugh at a story like that. And it is funny, I guess, unless it happens to you, right? But you know, there's some things that, that just aren't a laughing matter. And what I mean by that is what's happening in our culture, what's happening in our country, what's happening in our families, in our world today. As we abandon God's truth, God's moral framework, there's a falling down of values, a falling apart of families and of society in general. I mean, think about this with me. Isn't history one long lesson? 
of what happens when you abandon God's truth, when you abandon God's moral framework he's placed in the universe, that sense of right or wrong. My parents were missionaries to primitive people who knew, who never heard of God, but knew somehow the difference between right and wrong. When you abandon that, civilizations fail, nations fail, families fail, individuals fail. Mine's the story that Jesus told. You probably learned it if you went to Sunday school, you probably sang the song. Two men that built houses. One man built this house on, on granite, on a solid rock, strong underpinning. And then nature hurled its fury at it. Rain and wind and floods, and the house stood firm. The other guy wanted seashore property, so he built his house on the sand. And nature threw its fury at that house. The rain came, the wind came, the floods came, and it was totally demolished. Fell apart. Why? Because its underpinning was weak. And so Jesus' point is, you're going to build your life on something. Are you going to build it on the truth and stand secure? Or are you going to build it on the sand, the deception of the world, of the evil one? And it can feel secure. It can look beautiful. But in the end, it crumbles. It fails. Let me ask you right now, as you think about your life, think about your family, what are you basing it on? The Word of God, the truth of God? Or are you compromising a little bit of the truth, a little bit of a lie, a little bit of what God wants, but a little bit of what the world wants? You know, to me, one of the greatest proofs that God's Word is true is to watch what happens when someone abandons God and His truth. Things don't go well. Things do fall down and fall apart. You say, oh, come on. I know, I know people who don't believe in God and their lives are going really well. That's because they're probably observing some aspect of God's moral framework. You don't have to be a Christian to believe in morality and in truth. But when you abandon that entirely, when you turn your back on it and say, I, I just don't buy into that anymore, everything falls down. Everything falls apart. There's a passage in the book of Judges that's very troubling. You know, the people had been given the law. They had Moses as their leader. They had Joshua as their leader. They were so blessed. And yet look what it says in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says, after that generation, I think this is really key, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. The question is, what happened between the two generations? And I think what happened between the two generations is that this generation didn't pass the truth on. This generation got lazy, got sloppy, so that the next generation was unsure and forgot the things of God. If you read the Bible carefully in the Old Testament, God reminds his people continuously, you are to tell the next generation, you're to teach the next generation, you're to put it in their minds and hearts, visit the pillars that you set up for the things that I did for you. And somewhere along the line, that stopped. And so I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, and I just saw it again in the, in, uh, the Christian Post. In America, 2% of millennials ages 18 to 39 have a biblical worldview, 2%. Yet most, which is very interesting, call themselves Christians. There's something, there's something really missing there. And I wonder if it's because the generation before we have not 
passed on the truth like we should. We've just assumed they'd get it. And we forget they swim in a world, in colleges and universities, in a culture and social media that does not expound the truth of God. And the result of that, we see the things that happen. They're happening around us now. But I want to browbeat you. I don't want to make you feel bad about that. I'm not here to guilt us. But you've got, you got to acknowledge the problem if you're going to figure out what the solution is. And Paul's given us a solution. There's no time to start like now. Here's what he says. In essence, the principle goes like this. And that is, when you uncompromisingly tuck your life into the Word of God, you receive the power to live life confidently and victoriously. That's what's so neat about God and his truth. When I actually tuck my whole life into that, there is a power that God gives to me. There's a confidence that comes to me that no matter what the world is doing around me, because I put my confidence in the truth and in God, I have the sense that it's going to be okay. God is in control. I'm doing what is right. Not in arrogance, but a grace like Jesus had. Do you have that? Do you know that? When your life's tucked in the truth, it's there. I want to talk to you about three things we need to tuck into the truth of our lives. Here's the first thing I want to challenge you with. And that is to tuck your doubts into God's truth. Tuck your doubts into God's truth. We all struggle with doubts. I struggle with doubts, sometimes more than others. And that's just natural. It's just normal. The question is, what do you do with your doubts? There's a, a, a big term I learned when I was in seminary. It's called fideism. And fideism is this description of, of people or the view of life that, you know, the Bible says it, therefore I believe it. I don't care what the facts or reasoning says. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there who have this view that Christians are ignorant, that Christians are stupid. That we just believe in God and believe in the Bible just because. We never think anything through. Therefore, man, you got to be careful those Christians. You certainly don't want them leading you or governing you. Hey, listen, I wouldn't want anybody, Christian or non-Christian, to lead me and govern me who just believes something for the sake of believing it. But the Bible tells us we're supposed to be thinkers. God gave us a mind. God wants us to think. And even as sinful human beings, we can think things through. And God wants us to think things through. Some interesting passages of Scripture. I want to show you one of them found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and, and in the old English, it says, girding your minds, girding up your minds. So just like the soldier, you know, picks his tunic up and, and, and tucks it in the belt, in essence, what Peter is saying is tuck your mind in the truth. Gird up your minds. Look what he says, for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're living in this difficult, tumultuous time, he's saying to them. Get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of your mind. Tuck your mind in the truth. Live out the truth. Or in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as always, always being prepared to make a defense 
to anyone who asks you for a, look, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So, so Peter's expectation is that we're using our minds, we're thinking through what God has said, and we're, we're explaining to them why we believe and what we believe about God and about life. Look at, look at the Apostle Paul. Read Acts 17 sometimes. He goes to the philosophical center of the world at that point in Athens. And there it says in verse 17 of Acts 17 that he reasoned with them in the synagogue, Jews and God-freeing Gentiles. And then on Mars Hill, he reasons with the, with the Greeks about this idol that they have to the unknown God and explains who God is. Jesus didn't just show up and say, I'm here, I'm the Messiah, believe in me. No, Jesus reasoned from the Scriptures. In fact, after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, when he's with two disciples who don't recognize him because they think he's still in the tomb, he reasoned with them from the Old Testament to show them that the Messiah must die and rise again. He did miracles. He rose from the dead. He gave plenty of evidence. God says, think about it. Think it through. Here's the problem for both Christians and non-Christians. A lot of us don't think it through for ourselves. We let other people think for us, and that is dangerous. It's lazy and it's dangerous. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for people who think about things and write books and expound things, but I don't want to just believe it because some celebrity said it or some philosopher said it, or my professor said it, or my teacher said it, or my peers said it, or the preacher said it. i got to measure it against something. Does it make sense? Let me give you an example. Let's take something as basic as the existence of God. A lot of people don't believe in the existence of God. Secularists. They believe in evolution. But here's the problem. If you think through evolution, at the mindset that, that we just evolved somehow, you end up, if you honestly use your brain and think it through logically, presupposition all the way through, you end up with some real problems. And one of the big problems you end up with is there's really no need and no room for morals. Because the survival of the fittest. I'm like an animal, and so I'm going to do what I need to do to survive. Who are you to tell me how I have to behave? Why should I care for you? I've got one life to live in, and I'm done. I mean, that kind of mindset breeds injustice. That kind of mindset breeds violence and lawlessness if you think it through. And if you think it through all the way and you, and you ask the question, well, how in the world did we ever get here? What happens is some of the most intellectual people in, in, in all of the world, right? Secularists will tell you, we don't know, it just happened. Now, you talk about blind faith. Now, think through what the Bible says. If I actually take to heart belief in God and belief in what the Bible says, let me ask you a question. Does it make for better family? Better marriages? Does it make for a better economy? Does it make for better law, better order? Does it make for better justice, mercy, and love? It does. If you take it seriously, if you actually live it out, and I know there are hypocrites that blow it. I understand that. There are Christians that make a mess of it. But when you take God literally at his word and what he says, it works, it makes sense. It's easier to believe that God created this world and God put everything into motion than it is to believe it just happened. I like what um, Dr. James Lyle says. 
He says, biblical faith is believing in something unseen for which we have good reason. It is not blind, but strong confidence based on good reason. Tuck your doubts into the truth. Secondly, tuck your pain into God's truth. Tuck your pain into God's truth. We all experience pain in our life. Suffering, physical suffering, emotional suffering, all kinds of loss and death. If you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the truth, honestly, life is one sad experience. You wonder if it's worth being born if there's nothing at the end. Especially for some people who go through such hard things whose lives are cut short so quickly. But if we believe in God and believe in the Bible, then we know that suffering is for a purpose. We know that it's not going to last forever. And we know that when we're freed from this life, we go into the presence of God. We look forward to the resurrected body. We've got a story to look forward to. I came across a, a, a news anchor who's a believer and, uh, in Champaign, Illinois. And Back in 2015, he shared some news with his co-anchor about his brain cancer, brain tumor. And rather than me tell you what he said, I want you to watch and I want you to listen carefully. Watch this. Okay, we moved in here because we've got some serious stuff to discuss. And we are an open book and we wanted to let you guys in on something that we've known for a while. Yes, as you know, I told you a few weeks ago that my brain cancer is back. What I have learned in the next uh, last few days, in fact, as I have seen doctors several times, I'm learning more about what my future holds. Basically, my cancer is back, and it's too big for surgery and radiation. Um, doctors have told me that I may have four to six months to live. Now, I've also decided to try a new treatment. It's an antibody treatment and a chemo treatment to slow down its growth. Uh, the goal here is to have a few more days and to make them the best that they can be in the life that I have. As you know, I'm a born-again Christian. I believe that I'm in God's hands. I'm at peace, and I know that he's going to take care of the days ahead and that uh, the goal here is to have the best ones possible. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The anchor has an anchor, doesn't he? And his anchor is God and God's truth. Now, he did pass away, but he's passed on into eternity. Because you had that confidence. Do you have that confidence right now? Perhaps you've lost someone you love and care for so deeply. It's not the end of the world. They had a relationship with Christ. We have the promise, the hope, and we'll be with them together in eternity someday. Tuck your pain into God's truth. Finally, tuck your life choices. Tuck your life choices into God's word. Or God's truth. And all of us make choices in life, don't we? We're always making choices from young until we die. And we don't make those choices in a vacuum. What I mean by that is simply this. The choices that we make are the result of the influence of so many things in our environment. Every choice you make is not something you came up with yourself. Somebody Something, some philosophy, something has added to your life to bring you to that choice about relationships, about sex and sexuality, about money and materialism, about success, about friends, about the environment, 
about God, about religion, about philosophy, about politics, about governing, and on it goes. Who are those people that are influencing you? Where are you drawing your worldview from? Social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? Your professor, your teacher, your friends, your parents, the pastor? A philosophy you ran into? Where's it coming from? You got to answer that question. And then you got to ask yourself, am I, am I viewing it through the right grid or am I being deceived? Am I, am I in the tent with the right thing, the right truth? Or have I married myself to something that's wrong, that's false, that's deceptive, that's a mixture of a little bit of truth and a little bit of a lie? That's how the enemy likes to work. And God says he won't let us mix things together. When we sign up to follow Christ, there's no room for disobedience. There's no room to bring something else into that relationship with us. I can't, I can't marry myself to God, so to speak, and drag in some other philosophy, some other view, some other, other teaching. And, and so we're facing a real dilemma in our culture right now. You know, we keep hearing about progressives and progressive thought. Well, now there's a lot of talk about progressive Christianity. Updating the Bible. Updating God. Bringing God and the Bible into the 21st century. Deceptive. Not kicking God out, not kicking the word out. We just got to fix a few things. That's deceptive. And I hope you haven't brought that into your tent, into your life, and into your family. Think, think. I was having my devotions the other day, and I, I came across a passage of Scripture that I meditated on for a while, Philippians chapter 1, and listen to what Paul says in this passage of Scripture. He says, above all, you, and he's talking to believers, must live as citizens of heaven. So let's just stop there for a moment. I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I, I love my country. I know I'm a citizen of the United States, but really I'm not. I'm a citizen of heaven. Don't put any other label on me. I am a citizen of heaven. I am seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I'm waiting to go. Right now, I'm on mission here to let people know about God's love, what I have experienced, what they can experience. Paul says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Look what he says, conducting yourselves. That's behavior, behaving yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So what he's saying is, look, remember who you are and whose you are. Now conduct your behavior in accordance with God's word, in accordance with who Jesus is. Let that govern your life and nothing else. Remember we said last weekend, this whole, this whole idea about being a follower of Christ is serious business. It's a big deal to be a follower of Christ. It's a huge decision. You're giving up every other worldview. You're giving up any other lifestyle. You're giving up any other influences. And you're saying, I'm parking myself under God. I'm parking myself under Christ. His truth, His way. And I'm going to follow Him. Regardless what anybody else says. Regardless what anybody else thinks. And you know what? Jesus told his followers that if they did that, persecution was going to come. 
I read somebody the other day, I don't remember exactly who it was, but they made this statement. They said, you know what? If you truly are going to follow Christ, like you're going to seriously follow Jesus, you will never have to go looking for persecution. It will come looking for you. And it's true. But we live out this truth. Paul goes on and says, as a sign to those who are unbelievers, that the truth is real. I mean, how can they know the truth works if they don't see it working in your life and my life? I guess when you sum everything up that I've been trying to say, you can put it into this one big idea. And it's simply this. When you tuck your whole life into God and his truth, you will overcome evil and live victoriously. You will if you tuck your whole life in. Let's pray. God, it is really such a simple message. It is a light. It is a guide for us right now. Father, we don't want to bring anything into the tent of our lives that's not true. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be married to the wrong thing. Father, we want our lives to be tucked into your word. We want our lives to be tucked into Christ. Help us, we pray. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, I want to give you some next steps to help you in this journey, okay? So I have, I have three suggestions for you if you really want to get serious about the belt of truth. Now, maybe some of you are already, so that's great. All right, but if, if it's an area you've been struggling with, let me suggest three things to you. Number one, let me suggest that you start a reading plan. If you go to our website, which you see scrolling here, and uh, you'll find there's a 30-day Bible reading plan. It's got reflection questions, all kinds of information. Just go to the website and check it out and start reading God's Word. Start reading God's Word. Get, get it in your mind. Get it in your heart. If you have, fam have a family, start reading God's Word together or, or get your kids challenged to be in the Word of God. Join us on the weekends online like you are or come, we're regathering at our campuses if you feel safe and comfortable, but spend time hearing God's Word and hearing God's Word expounded. Secondly, here's a suggestion for you because I know you may be dealing with some doubts or you have friends who are dealing with doubts. I came across a book a couple of years ago that was very entertaining and did a great job dealing with the tough kinds of questions people ask. It's called Dinner with a Perfect Stranger, An Invitation Worth Considering by David Gregory. You can listen to it audibly. You can get the Kindle version. You can buy the book. It is a great book. I encourage you to read it, maybe as a family, as an individual. He takes on some tough questions, but he does it in such an entertaining way. I don't want to give away the plot, all right? Because you'll really enjoy it. And Number three, last but not least, it is so important for us to get the Word of God into the next generation. And even though we've got COVID going on and all the challenges with it, we have regathered. We have our children coming back. And on Wednesdays especially, we have a program called Woods on Wednesday. We've got over 100 kids between this campus and Edina who are showing up, but we're short of volunteers to help listen to them memorize and get God's Word in their heart. And that's what WOW is all about. So if you have some time and could spare an hour on Wednesday nights and are feeling safe about it, if you'll please email, all right, our interim 
children's director, pastor, zach.gosha at wooddale.org. Zach.gosha at wooddale.org. We would really appreciate that. And then we'll make sure it gets channeled out to the appropriate campus and somebody will be in contact with you and you get to help instill God's word in the life of a child. So it won't be said at Wooddale that there's a generation that did not know God's word. So get involved and I look forward to seeing you next weekend because next weekend we are going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness and you don't want to miss it. God bless you guys.